Welcome back to another episode of the Best Minutes Podcast. Each week, Movies by Minutes hosts examine the 1946 William Wyler-directed film of the best years of our lives, one minute of screen time per episode. I am Jake Lewitt. And I'm Mark Hoffmeyer. And we host Deep Blue Sea, the podcast. On this episode, we're discussing minute 157 of the best years of our lives. The minute starts with Pat taking a drag from his cigarette and ends with the camera panning past the Lucy Bell. Now, I talked a little bit about Pat Dragon from the cigarette. I jumped on it, but I got excited. I got very excited about the Pat smoking in the last episode. So I'm sorry that we're only going to be able to be covering 50 seconds of this minute. (laughs) Just want to give everyone a heads up on that. But it was worth it. It It was was a great discussion. And, okay, Jay, how much would you love it if you and our various Deep Blue Sea, the podcast guests, got together? There's probably, what, 30 of us, maybe? No, more than that. Yeah, about 30, 35 to 40, I think, in total. Okay, all of us split up into two equal sides, and we all had paintball guns with low-impact paintballs, and we had a paintball match in this aircraft bone field, like uh, aircraft uh, graveyard. That sounds like a lot of fun. Uh, I, I have made a vow to myself to never play paintball again. Uh, <laughs> but aside from that, Yes, if if back in my paintballing days, I would be very much up for that. It's like a, a really interesting environment to play in, especially if you're able to climb around, around and inside and over the planes and be incredibly disrespectful to the, to the memory of them. Yeah, <laughs> they're used for. Um, well, but, they're all being junked anyway. Yes, that is true. That is true. But now they're like being it, used for something. If there was somebody like like Fred wandering around and. Um, thinking about what he's done, how the war impacted his life and his memories, and just trying to deal with all of that whilst we were playing paintball in the environment. <laughs> that might be very disrespectful. I'm talking in a perfect world. Yes, like, we're not yes, spray painting yeah. fart on the planes like the kid from Raising Arizona. I, I kind of see it as, like, you know, the start of Saving Private Ryan when yeah. the, the old Matt Damon is going to the grave. If there were people playing paintball <laughs> on that graveyard. That's what's happening in my head right now. There'd be horrible coverage be horrible. on that field. There's no coverage as well. The gravestones are pretty pretty small. We couldn't hide behind them. Yeah, it'd be a, it'd be it'd be a fast game. It would. And also, I just gotta say, this scene is a marvel of 1946 dolly shots and crane shots. There is a beautiful crane shot in this scene that showcases the 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 width and depth of just how many planes are being torn apart to make well I'll, we'll talk about that later but yeah how many planes are in this in this aircraft like plane graveyard it's a really lovely crane shot and the cinematographer had done that in citizen kane so that was nothing new to him but then you also it kind of it reminded me of high noon when it's like the opposite it's the opposite of high noon where this one shows back to show us the expanse of how many airplanes are in there. And then high noon, the crane shot is used to show them that no one's helping them. So it's it's a it's just a really excellent usage of the crane shots. I mean, Orson Welles' Touch of Evil, too. He crushed it. And there's been, you know, I've been on film, a bunch of film sets. I worked on movies with techno cranes everywhere. I mean, people just rely on these things. They're easy to use. They're stable. You can get some excellent shots. But I don't know. It's just it's a, such a neat analog system that they sent out set up out there. And I would love to see them get these shots because, I mean, Wyler just nailed it. And also, Wyler, everyone's talked about this, Jay, but he was on the Memphis. Like, he he was in World War II. I read a book called um, Five Came Back by Mark Harris. Yeah. 
who wrote about how like uh, Fran- uh Capra, Weiler, Stevenson, uh, let's see who else was there, Ford, and there's one more. How they went to World War II and they filmed what was out there and they they took part in the action. And Weiler shooting this was almost deaf because of all the stuff he did on airplanes. Yeah, like filming. Yeah, yeah. It's crazy. And the book, I'm telling you, was excellent. And his movie before this, Mrs. Miniver, and so we I, we know all this. We just I'm sure it's been talked about in 150 minutes. But it's neat to see how he goes from Mrs. Miniver to the best years of our lives. And you can see how the effect changed him. And he was less naive. And you can tell by the 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 work of this and the the camera work that they had to nail it. And also the writer of this movie, let's see, he didn't know how to fully write this, obviously, Robert Sherwood. So he told Weiler, like, this is on you. You got to, like, you know this. This is your world. You got to show it. And so they talked to the cameraman and Weiler, and they really pulled off this dialogue free scene beautifully. Yeah. 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 I mean, just, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> Anyone who hasn't yeah. seen it, Mrs. Min- it hasn't been mentioned before. Mrs. Miniver is a fantastic film. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I highly recommend it. Um, oh, for sure. There's just being a, another side of the, of the war that's less depicted in film with kind of the home front uh, mm-hmm. and the family surviving it all. So yeah, so that's like just like Best Years of Our Lives is showing a different aspect of of the war of like coming home and what you do, what happens then. Uh, I do like uh, Wilder's takes on on World War Two. Uh, just watching that plane though, it's just all that material. Is, it was made, and so many people had jobs, and now it comes back, and I don't know. It's just a really neat scene. I think it's almost. Do you think it's almost cathartic? It has to be pretty cathartic for the character walking through this. Not depressing. I think so. I mean, I mean, the uh, the uh, future a future minute. I think we talk about tomorrow or the day after. It wasn't actually scripted. Like the 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 script for this scene said, Fred walks around thinking of how the war has done him in. That's that's it. That's the entire scene. I think somewhere in that he would then meet the character we meet on at the end of the week. So it was just whilst they were there, uh, while I came up with the idea that he, they invented the scene of, of tomorrow's minute. It was just supposed to be him wandering around and looking at his planes and trying to think, ah, planes, huh. <laughs> <laughs> I remember these guys. This guy, I remember these, this going on. So, I, I mean, yeah, we'll get more into it tomorrow. But I, I love that this, this is just a real uh, boneyard, a real you know, disused aircraft field that was in California when they shot this. Mm-hmm. In the, the Ontario Army Airport, it is, where they, where they shot this. It was just one of a lot of airplane boneyards all around the country, around the world, perhaps. And um, there's a 2015 article from the Independent where there's a map where there's 4,400 aircraft at the Davis uh, Monthan Air Force Base in Nevada. And there are just, oh, in Arizona, my apologies, Arizona desert, but there's 4,400 planes. But now that Google Earth is out, you can go take a detailed look at all the planes sitting in this airplane graveyard, 4,400 of them. Wow, that's that's incredible. I think think the planes that we see here are... Uh, B-17 and B-25 bombers. So the ones with two engines are the B-25s and the four engines are the B-17s. Uh, so it's B-17 that we get to tomorrow. Uh, yeah, which is, you know... <laughs> the guy the guy who created this podcast, Jim O'Kane, he's a plane guy. I'm sure he's been looking forward to receiving the chapters about all the planes. I'm sorry, Jim, I'm not really a plane guy. Uh, I got dragged around a lot of air shows as a kid, and they just bored me to tears. So um, I didn't delve too deeply into the history of the planes, and I'm sure he's devastated. And I'd just like to send out my apologies to Jim O'Kane 
<laughs> He's just crying right now. Yes. Sorry. But yeah, I mean, hey, listen, there's B-17s in there. There's B-25 bombers. So, I mean, there's we, we, we know a couple of them. Yeah. And there's some SS Spitfire snake hawks in there as well. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but there are some uh, specific planes that with the camera does pan across. But in the, this is the dolly shots, though. For me, I wasn't really thinking about the the planes per se. I was just really loving the visual storytelling that was involved. Oh, yeah. It's, it, it's a beautiful it's, shot. Yeah. And it's just it, it shows just the everyone's skill on this movie. I think they did an excellent job. And also some of the art department work on the planes feels very realistic. I mean, you have Weiler on there. He probably was striving for that on set. So the art, you know, production designers, art, art, art directors, they, they had their work cut out for them. But I mean, it's once again, too, I love when filmmakers like it's cheap production design, right? And you go, you find, and also it's on location, right? In the 1940s, there wasn't too many on location shoots. A lot of it was in studio. I'm not saying all of them were. And, and obviously someone could just rattle off a bunch of movies that were shot on location as opposed to studios. But it's nice to get out of the homes and sets that were traditionally built and get out there. And it, it, I think that gives this movie a much bigger scope. And they, they got it for maybe next to nothing because they're able to shoot on this airfield. And it's just another smart production decision. Yeah, it's, it's not a, a location that was probably being used for anything other than plane storage. And, they, and that's what they wanted it for. Sorry. Well, did they do did they do paint cans back then? Is that the game? I don't know what you're, you're talking about, Mark. <laughs> you just run and throw paint on somebody. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, yes, let's say they did. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Stupid. Sorry. <laughs> but I, I I agree that the uh, these shots of the boneyard look fantastic, and just all the planes lined up. I mean, it just it doesn't have to be a film. This could just be like framed artwork on a wall, just the lines of these disused aircraft. So, you know, the engines removed, propellers removed, just waiting to be melted into ingots of aluminium. It looks stunning. And I know that a lot of people... I remember when Game of Thrones, the final season, came out and someone showed the shot of... Well, there's a shot in the final season of Game of Thrones where someone's like, this should be taught in every film school ever. And then everyone started making fun of that by showing stupid shots and this should be shown in every film school. But these are shots that I think are worth showing. I mean, yeah. there are some beautiful frames here. And I know there's a lot of cynical people that would make fun of that, but this is a movie that, I don't know, there's a lot of really interesting, and it's already been talked about 10,000 times. Like, I didn't want to get too too in in depth with that, the homes and the smaller sets and stuff, but I, I like that we get, we get a breath of fresh air on this, and I'm glad we got to talk about it. It's neat. Yeah, it's, it's like the, the previous... One of the previous Movies by Minutes collaborations was North by Northwest, which unfortunately we were not able to be a part of. We did, our podcast didn't exist at that time. But I always think of the the shot of uh, Cary Grant as he's leaving the United Nations building. It's just shot mm-hmm. from really high up, and it's like the forecourt of the building. You see the side of the building going down, and it's a beautiful image, and I love that. That's that's something that should be taught in, in all of cinematography school. Not, I'm assuming, it's the image of the wings unfurled yeah. in Game of Thrones, yeah. which is it's a fine shot. It looks nice at the time, but it's very gimmicky. Yes. That's, it's, it's, it's very that's route one point. as to what you're going to do. 
<laughs> that's a great point. It is going, yeah, 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 let's do it, let's do it. We have these uh, dragons and a character who could stand in front of one of them. <laughs> End of thought. <laughs> and he puts out the wings, and film schools will love it. No, I, no, you're absolutely right. I mean, I think establishing shots should be taught, or just showing location or travel. Various, I mean, just even over-the-shoulder shots could be taught. Like it's, it's. I think that's more of the, I think it's more of the craft, right? Of just getting a great shot out of not having dragons pop out beside someone's back. Yeah. Uh, so no, I mean, I mean Hitchcock though, it's kind of that dude knew what was up. I mean, I love analyzing his stuff. So I show my students Psycho when, uh, you know, when I was teaching, and they all loved it. They all dug just the various things that went into shooting it. Um, they also love Deep Blue Sea, by the way. Great do, you, movie. do you think you'll use the best years of our lives in any of your your film teaching in the future? Oh man, <laughs> sorry to put you in the spot. <laughs> well, it, it, I guess it just depends on my students. Like, what am I teaching a cinematography class? Am I teaching screenwriting? It's um, production design. I would absolutely cover it. If I had to talk about 1940s movies and maybe pick out elements from the best of those, I would most certainly do that uh, just to show. I mean, I, w- I would show this that scene of him. What we're talking about next week. That that scene just kind of blows my mind. And um, the chance, I, I guess for me is a lot of people look at these movies. What I would teach about this is a lot of people look at these movies. Oh, it's all old timey and yada yada. But this movie flies by at three hours. And it still feels relevant today with a lot of the issues being talked about. So first, I would discuss how it got past. A lot of these scenes got past the censors. I would talk about Weiler's experience. And then I would just talk about why it was revolutionary at the time. That would be kind of my main focus, I would say, to, to do that. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That all sounds good. Yeah. I don't teach anyone anything. So not so And then I would do a double header of Notorious and then Mission Impossible 2. <laughs> no. Not two. What? Mission Impossible. Well, Fred Durst. What you gonna do? Mission Impossible. I don't know. Is that the song? Where's my Oakleys? <laughs> well, regardless of what the song is, that's gonna bring this minute to a close, I think, because we're talking about Mission Impossible 2. Um, the best use of our lives. There we what go. You say? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, that's He's been... stopped rolling, right? That, that's that been minute 157 rolling? of the best years of our lives. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> listeners, you can find the Best Minute podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Play, or at the main site, thebestminutes.com, and find it on Facebook at Butch's Place, The Best Years of Our Lives, Listeners Cafe, or on Twitter at The Best Minutes. Uh, for today's episode, I've been Jake Lewitt. And I'm Mark Limp Biscuit Hoffmeyer. There we go. And join us next time tomorrow on The Best Minutes podcast. Joe, you better hurry up out there because she's taking off soon. Right, thanks. Come on, Taylor.